from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. A lot of the book became about the neighborhoods because you can't explain the music without also explaining the neighborhoods, explaining how that neighborhood, how the neighborhood fits in with the city or how it doesn't fit, how it's marginalized. How, you know, you can look at issues that are going on with whatever safety or health or policing or freeways being planned right through black communities. There's so much to talk about in that respect. And so that's why we don't just talk about rap in the book. We talk about all everything under the sun, really, wherever the conversations led us. But I, I've, Peter and I both felt like a sense of place was so important because, you know, then you got to kind of understand a little bit more where there's two people from the same neighborhood and they're talking about something and you got to go, oh, okay, well, maybe that maybe that's stuff that was going on in that neighborhood. That's, that's more interesting. Now, whenever I hear that, I, I understand a little bit more about this whole world. Lance Scott Walker author of Houston Rap Tapes, an oral history of Bayou City hip-hop, published by University of Texas Press. Walker began his love for Houston hip-hop at an early age. According to Walker, the emergence of hip-hop from rap groups like the Ghetto Boys in the late 80s and DJ Screw in the 90s was inescapable. Walker, who now lives in New York, has written for a number of publications, which include the Houston Chronicle, Fader, Vice, and The Wire. He's also the host of Houston Rap Tapes Radio and the live writer series Evil Hour Evening Reading. Walker recently released the second edition of his book, Houston Rap Tapes, which chronicles trailblazers of the Houston rap scene. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Lance Scott Walker, author of Houston Rap Tapes, an oral history of Bayou City hip hop in Black America. The generation that's been a while around a while, which is mostly who I highlight here in the book, and the newer generation coming up can can mix a lot more. And that the newer generation coming up, I hope, reads about the people that came before them and and learns something from them because there's a lot of wisdom in that. And 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 if they work together, then you know that's uh, that's very hopeful for the future because you like to think that that the generations mix and especially musically when you look at something that's separated by a couple decades like that. I think it's a beautiful thing to see them them collaborate like that. Lance Scott Walker and photographer Peter Best has spent more than a decade collecting interviews and photos of producers, DJs, record label owners, and promoters in the Houston rap scene. The release of Houston Rap Tapes and Oral History of the Bayou City Hip Hop, which is the second edition of Houston Rap Tapes, provides a deeper insight into the genre. The newly released edition includes dozens of new photographs, maps of major hip-hop landmarks in the Space City, with more than 20 interviews. Sections of Houston Rap Tapes and Oral History of Bayou City Hip-Hop also tracks the different eras of Houston rap from the 1970s to present day. The intimate interviews and images give readers a glimpse into the personal feelings and lives of the well-known and not-so-well-known pioneers of Houston rap. Recently, in Black American assistant producer Delia Jones spoke with Walker. I grew up in Galveston, and you know Galveston's its own town, its own city, its own island. But you know we very much pick up on the culture of Houston and the music of Houston. And so when I was, you know, when I was in middle school, mid 1980s, I was listening to hip hop. I was listening to UTFO, Fat Boys, Roxanne Chante, you know, kind of early stuff that was coming out. And then I, I um. You know, I got interested in punk rock and went that direction, but I kept listening to hip hop over the years. And and I remember in the late 1980s, we heard Ghetto Boys, we heard Royal Flush, we heard Raheem. You know, we heard artists coming out of Houston. And then when I moved to Houston in the early 90s, of course, I heard DJ Screw and 
you know, there's plenty of stuff that you were hearing from Houston, whether or not you even knew it was from Houston. And but the the reason I got involved with the material and the subject matter that ended up being the book was because of the photographer Peter Best. We'd been old friends. Um, you know, we met in 1996. He used to come take pictures of my old punk rock band Jessica Six, and that's how I met him. And we stayed in touch. We became friends. And in 2004, he was living in New York, and you know, he got in touch with me. He said, "Hey, I'm going to start coming back to Houston, take pictures of all the old." gangster rappers we grew up listening to, you know, Ghetto Boys, Royal Flush. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And uh, after he made a couple trips and been working on it for a few months, I was writing for the Houston Chronicle then. He said, hey, you know, you're a writer. You need to come on board with me. You need to do this project with me because I go out and I take pictures of people and they tell me these amazing stories and my camera doesn't catch it. So, you know, so so I jumped on board with him in early 2005 and we kept working on it. He, he His idea the whole time was it was going to be a book project, but it was mm-hmm. just going to be photos at first. But it was his idea to to bring in the, the element of text and, you know, have, have that be an oral history that goes with the photos. So we just kept working on it for years, and the books finally came out 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, an extension of that work. It's a new edition of the second book, Houston Rap Tapes, and I just fattened it up a lot. And the <laughs> University of Texas gave me the leverage uh, to... To, to reimagine the book, add a lot to it, and and uh, and here we are. Yeah, and and you know, in Galveston, was there really um, you know a big hip hop scene at all? No. You know, how were you actually listening to this hip hop? <laughs> well, there was no scene in the sense there weren't really artists yeah. there, and and you know, the Ghetto Boys came and played there a couple times. Mm-hmm. Too Short came and played there. You know, there were a few concerts here yeah. and there, but for the most part, no. But were there people who were interested in hip-hop? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Everyone. what was it about hip-hop that kind of made, you know, you kind of lean towards the genre a little bit more, right? Because I know, like, these explicit lyrics, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure your parents were not approving. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you got to think about it also. Like, whenever I first started listening to hip-hop, it was 1984. Yeah. 1985. Yeah. There was no cursing, yeah. you know? There, there wasn't. Yeah. It just wasn't. Gangster rap didn't exist yet. Yeah. And... So it was a different genre, but the reason it, it really truly appealed to me is because, you know, I was in sixth grade and that was the first time that like music was a thing for the other students, for the other, you know, the kids in my school. And, you know, there's plenty of kids I didn't know. It's not like I knew everybody, but that was the music that I was hearing. And, and it resonated because it seemed like it wasn't like we were listening to music really before that fifth, fourth, fifth grade. I, I don't remember, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, maybe who knows. But yeah. <laughs> but it, but sixth grade, you know, that was the first time that I really noticed, oh, everybody's listening to this new genre. Of course, I'd heard a little bit of it here and there, but they it really seemed like it resonated with everybody. Like they loved it. Like they truly were in love with the music. And and I and I noticed that. I don't know if I realized it at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think it may, probably took me years to realize that, but that was the allure of it. That was the attraction of it. And it was just such a different thing. And, you know, think about it too. Like a lot of early hip hop, mm-hmm. la di da stuff like that. They're mm-hmm. nursery rhymes, you mm-hmm. know? And so for, you know, kids that were our age, there was something that just pulled us right into there. How has the genre um, kind of stacked up, <laughs> you know, compared to other uh, genres of music, right? So you have like, rock you right uh grunge and, and they have different cities that they're kind of associated with mm-hmm. that kind of help uh launch them into the mainstream eye right. um you know how has that kind of stacked up now compared to uh all of these other genres as far as houston music? yeah yes yeah, as, as far as well houston. i'd say it's it's got its own lane you yeah. know i mean 
so many of the artists in Houston, the, the way they learned how to do it was through Rap-A-Lot Records, and yeah. that was that was independent. Yeah. You know, I know that there was some upstream deals where some Rap-A-Lot artists got, you know, involved with major labels through Rap-A-Lot, but for the most part, it was an independent label. And so artists that were coming up in Houston in the, not necessarily in, oh, in the 80s, but certainly in the 90s when it, you know, CDs were, you know, more ubiquitous and it was a little bit easier to make, you know, your own records like that. We're really before, you know, digital recording was everywhere, but, you know, it became a lot easier um, for artists to, to make their own records. And the template for them, the blueprint was rap a lot, you know, do it yourself, distribute it yourself, worry about making it, um, making a rich um, uh, impression here in the city first. Houston's a big city. It's, you know, fourth largest in the country. And if you included all the little communities around it, it's a lot mm-hmm. bigger than that. And, uh, and right in the center of gigantic state with lots of other big cities. So there was a lot of room to work. There was a lot of room to work. And so a lot of those labels um, established themselves, those artists established themselves, and that's continued on. So, you know, I think Houston's been able to create its own lane because those artists weren't going for major label deals. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to get into the major label pants. They didn't have to put on the major label hat. Some of them did. You know, they got to a certain point, certainly 2005 when everything blew up. A few artists that, again, had upstream deals through through Swisha House. Mm -hmm. And they got, got, you know, had major label deals. But I think the business acumen of, of Houston artists is very sharp. And it has been because they've had to hone that for years. Because when was New York, when were New York or LA ever interested in what was going on in Houston? They weren't. And, and neither was anybody else, really. So by the time they did take a look, by the time anybody took a look, there were all these artists that had been making records forever. And I think all those artists who, like I said, got those major label deals kind of had in the back of their minds. It's not going to last forever, so yeah. I'm going to make sure that my paperwork says that I can get out of this and go back to releasing records on my own. Yeah, and um, throughout the book, you know, there are very candid interviews with um, DJs, producers, uh, club owners, you know, all of this. Can you kind of walk me through the process of actually getting a lot of these uh, rappers to kind of, you know, open up to you, you know, kind of talk? You know, honestly, um, so for example, like Wicked Cricket, he's mm-hmm. he's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> You've written a, a few articles on him as mm-hmm. well as included him, you know, in the first part of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't seem like the type to kind of, you know, tell tell you about his feelings, you know, mm-hmm. off the bat. So can you tell me a little bit about how that process has gone? Because you've done this, what, over a decade now, right? Of, yeah. of actually documenting these mm-hmm. interviews. Yeah, about 13 years. Yeah. It's different with everyone. You know, the main thing that Peter and I learned was just not selling yourself, but being able to explain yourself very quickly, very concisely. Like if you, you know, it goes for anything. It's the same with writing. If you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it or you're trying to hide something. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want anybody to think that, Mm -hmm. you know, we wanted everybody to, to, to be very clear on what we were doing. And so, you know, couple white boys show up in the hood with <laughs> you know cameras and, and tape recorders you know you explain yourself real exactly, quick yeah. and uh, and and we got very good at that and we started making mock-ups of the book early on prints of uh, Peter's prints and uh, and I would you know take sections out of interviews and put them in there the same way that Houston rap eventually turned out where it's a mix of photos and oral history because we wanted people to, to have you know no questions about what it was we were doing and and you know, when you gain trust that way by, mm-hmm. by being honest about what you're doing and, and, and letting them kick the tires and explain stuff, then, you know, it takes a while. Nobody just opens up right away. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these interviews in here are the second or third interview with someone or maybe I meet them in person and get back to them on the phone. It, it, it works different from everyone. And, and some people just never came around like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, I either they didn't know, they didn't 
they didn't trust the source or they were just like, oh, I'm not really ready to open up like that. Yeah. So it's different with everyone. But, you know, I, I, I try to load information into the questions that I ask mm-hmm. people that, that, that lets them know they don't have to reset everything for me. You know, that you know, okay, well, he's done his homework. He understands some stuff. So if I load some information into the questions, then it makes it to where it's not pretentious in the, on, the, on the part of, of myself or the interviewee. For the reader, because I'm ultimately thinking about, well, the, the reader's going to read this and I want them to understand what I'm talking about. But I also want the interviewee to understand that I know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and that I can put these facts in here so you don't have to reset all this really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they can kind of open up a little bit more. OK, yeah. well, I don't have to tell them all the ABCs. I can go all the way down the alphabet and, and start telling them some stuff I've never told anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and throughout the book, you also have uh, maps of mm-hmm. different regions of um, Houston. And essentially, you know, just kind of reading the book, I realized that the whole book is a map, right? Yeah. Uh, each person is from a, a different, you know, part of Houston that yeah. they rep. Um, can you kind of talk about uh, the importance of why location was really important to um, to the to the to this genre of music? Yeah, well, a lot of what we're talking about in the book is gangster rap. Yeah. OK, so gangster rap really if you go backwards it's a product of crack cocaine it's a product of the effects devastating effects that crack cocaine had on on neighborhoods all over the united states certainly we can go back and and look at it in houston and the neighborhoods that were most rap comes from in houston south park fifth ward sunnyside third ward fourth ward all over really all over the city but there's certainly neighborhoods in houston that we know through the history were hit harder by the effects of crack cocaine that comes out in the music uh, in a lot of the stories that comes out, plenty of people in this book were former crack dealers and they turned their lives around. You know, that's part of the beauty of doing this all these years later is we able, you know, able to look back on it. And some of them are able to kind of look back on it and laugh. And some of them look back on it and start sweating, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, um, but it's a, it's real. It's a reality. It's a very real thing. And, and, you know, a lot of the book became about the neighborhoods because you can't make it you can't explain the music without also explaining the neighborhoods, explaining how that neighborhood, how the neighborhood fits in with the city or how it doesn't fit, how it's marginalized, how, you know, you can look at issues that are going on with whatever safety or health or policing or, you know, freeways being planned right through black communities. There's so much to talk about in that respect. And so that's why we don't just talk about rap in the book. We talk about all, you know, everything that, you know, everything under the sun really wherever the conversations led us but i I've, peter and i both felt like a sense of place was so important because you know then you got going to kind of understand a little bit more where there's two people from the same neighborhood and they're talking about something and you got to go oh, okay well maybe that's you know maybe that's stuff that was going on in that neighborhood that's that's more interesting now whenever i hear that i, I understand a little bit more about about this whole world yeah and you talk about um a lot of these rappers, of course, conveying, uh, you know, what they're experiencing um, in their own neighborhoods. But I'm very curious uh, to know, you know, about the women, right? Um, mm-hmm. We rarely, you know, there's only a few women, you know, that are pretty prominent within Houston's mm-hmm. hip hop scene. Can you kind of tell me about what the general gist of of their places um, in their narratives mm-hmm. within this this history? A lot of behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of behind the scenes. Yeah, there aren't, there really aren't a whole lot of female artists in, in Houston. I try to highlight as many as I can, mm-hmm. but you see what the percentage is. Mm-hmm. It's not that big. <laughs> yeah. And so, but but I feel so fortunate that the ones that I did get to talk to were amazing interviews and, and, and talk about that perspective and talk about what it's like and how much harder it is for them to break through. And um, although it didn't really find a 
place in this book because it's a little bit more obscure. There's so many females working behind the scene yeah. in Houston and booking and promoting and publicity and, and everything like that. So, you know, I hope that I hope that the artists that I did profile, mm-hmm. you know, will help inspire and yeah. inspire more. You know, my book's not going to break down any walls, but yeah. anytime <laughs> when, when but when people get inspired and they move forward and they, they, they believe that there's no reason they can't do something, then they will continue to go in that direction. And hopefully that helps inspire the next generation. Yeah. And do you think that that landscape is ex- is expanding at all uh, for a lot of female hip hop artists? Uh, one that kind of comes to mind for me is Megan Thee Stallion, right? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love me some Megan Thee Stallion. Yeah, she's wild. <laughs> so, yes, I yeah. love her. But, uh, you know, I can't really name, you know, any more prominent females. Uh, you know, are there... You know, if they're not in front of the camera, if they're not behind a mic, mm-hmm. are there more doing the production side of this? Or are there more, you know, helping host in clubs? You know, mm-hmm. are you seeing more more women? That's interesting. I don't know about producers. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's very interesting. There's got to be. Yeah. There's got to be. But, you know, the producers are so invisible sometimes. Yeah. You know, that's why I try to highlight some of those in the book. But certainly hosting, certainly, like I said, planning events booking shows promoting Mm -hmm. you know running some of the clubs you know there's 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 all kinds of roles and and you know that are super important that Mm -hmm. are just management a lot of managing a lot of publicity and promotion but you know not not coming out in front Mm -hmm. not out in front of the cameras not as much as we kind of go through the 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 book we realize that there are um, many major themes Mm -hmm. (laughs) addressed uh by uh, a lot of these rappers who are from different regions of houston but Mm -hmm. kind of you know, have this collective experience. Can you uh, kind of expand on that, you know, historically and and kind of how that's changed uh, in present day uh, Houston's hip hop? As far as the relationship between the different areas of Houston? Or just as far as uh, what's being rapped about. So, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So like back, you know, like you were saying, we had like the la-di-da type of rap, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get introduced to gangster rap, right? Mm -hmm. Where we, you know, are seeing kind of a lot of crack and and drugs within um, neighborhood, a lot of police brutality. Um, You know, have those narratives changed now? I would say that they've changed, especially if we're talking about artists that have been around a while, Mm -hmm. because they have a different perspective. Yeah. You know? Plenty of them are mothers and fathers now, or in some cases, nearly grandparents, you know. And so, you know, they're, they've got a different perspective on things. You know, they're, they're rapping about things from, from years, many more years of wisdom and, yeah. and having thought about it. And, you know, plenty of them would, I've talked to would say, well, you know, I'd, I'd go back and rewrite some of those lyrics that, <laughs> that, you know, that I wrote 20, 30 years ago, whatever it was. But but I think so. I mean, I think we're we're in a we're in a period now where a, awareness of of other people's plights has become so much more. I mean, we've got so much more information in front of us mm-hmm. now, and it's hard to sift through things. But it's hard not to to get an eye on social change and how things are going. You know, all around the country, all around the world. You know, things that we're up against, but plenty of ways in which people are becoming more aware and. I like to think that, that the, the young generation that's coming up who, who can't possibly have that same wisdom because they just haven't been around that long. I thought I was the smartest guy in the world when I was 21 years old. You know, we all do. But then when you're, you know, twice that age, you're able to look back on it and go, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I know all this other stuff now. And, you know, I can, I can think about things differently. But I like to think that, 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 the, the, um, that the, the generation that's been a while, around a while, which is mostly who I highlight here in the book, and the newer generation coming up can, can mix a lot more. And that the newer generation coming up, I hope, reads about their, uh, 
about the people that came before them and, and, yeah. and learn something from them because there's a lot of wisdom in that. And, and, and if they work together, then, you know, that's, uh, that's very hopeful for the future because you like to think that, that the generations, you know, mix and especially musically when you look at something that's separated by couple decades like that I think it's a beautiful thing to see them them collaborate like that yeah and speaking about uh, collaboration and, and like mixing these generations right um you have all of these old heads right mm-hmm. who may not or may just kind of be stuck in their ways right mm-hmm. have they in a way embraced you know a lot of these new rappers and and realized even the empire that they've they've built here in, in Houston the the older the older generation yeah. well it's hard not to embrace somebody <laughs> when they've got 300,000 followers you know <laughs> I think when the newer, some of the newer artists come out and they get hot, you know, uh, on their own, yeah. uh, then, uh, you know, that, that makes a little bit more, uh, you know, that's, that makes it a little bit more tantalizing yeah. for an artist that's been around to work with them. Yeah. And, and within the book, you know, do you have, you know, one of your favorite um, interviews that you would like to, to kind of talk about? I always talk about Wood, Wood's interview, Wood, uh, W-O-O-D from the Screwed Up Click, because he... In, in the book, he talks about his mother becoming addicted to crack, and he talks about him starting to deal crack, and he talks about the effect that it had on his family, and, you know, just when his father passed away, and then his house burns down, and he basically spends, he scrambles spending, a, you know, better part of a decade and a half just trying to get everything in his life straight, getting out of that himself, getting his mother away from that, getting her off the drug, and he did, and he, and he, and he got her moved into a house, and he takes care of her now and he says, you know, she's not my same mom. You can't wash away what drugs mm-hmm. does to people. But, you know, she's alive and she's okay. And uh, I thought it was just such a heartbreaking story. Yeah. And and um, and he was one of the, I've told this story before, but he's one of the rare ones that I called him back. And I was like, hey, you know. <laughs> Let me uh, let me go over what I'm what I got here. I don't know if you remember what you told me, but yeah. uh, and I went over it with him, and I told him I could you know I could knock this pronoun out. You know the name of the funeral home where where you, your family's funeral home. He said, No, I'll leave it in. He says I want people to know that stuff. It's important. You know I don't want it to be abstract. I want it to you know they drive past that funeral home. I want that to resonate with them. And so a story like that for anybody whose family has ever you know mm-hmm. ever had any someone taken away by drugs or or. You know, that's it's such a to be able to have to be able to relate to that, I think, is so important. But also for someone who just can't imagine that because they didn't grow up with circumstances like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for them to know this is the way something like that may have happened. So I remember, you know, back when I was younger, uh, my stepdad used to play Houston's rap all of the time. Subs mm-hmm. in the living room, always loud in the house. And I remember uh, gathering around those speakers, right, and dancing with my family, doing the South Side, you uh-huh. know, thinking I could dance. Right. And it was really you know, liberating in a way to be a girl. I'm from deep East Texas, mm-hmm. uh, backwoods, border of Louisiana. So you don't really hear rhetoric like that, right? Outside mm-hmm. of hip hop in that particular area. Right. And so to me, Southern hip hop, specifically Houston hip hop is, you know, freedom, right? Mm-hmm. What What is Houston hip hop for you? That's a very good question. <laughs> it's freedom. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with that. Yeah. yeah. Because I think, you know, it's such a such a loose definition, you know, people think about Houston hip hop or Houston rap, they think, okay, well, it's stuff that's slowed down. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. But, you know, that's certainly part of it. But I think of Houston hip hop as just hip hop that's from Houston. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think it has to mean any one thing. But, you know, there's so much of it. And it's such a rich, such a rich group of, of you know, different artists doing different things mm-hmm. that, that, that I hear an artistic freedom in it 
because because of the fact that so many of the artists are so prolific. Like I said before, they don't have to do it on anybody else's schedule. They don't have to spend two years in between albums like you might have to on a major label. They can do whatever they want. And so you hear, you know, you see people collaborate who you might not know even knew each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, you know, people experimenting, doing kind of crazy songs, crazy beats, stuff that like you don't really hear. And maybe, okay, I've never heard a Houston rap song or any rap song that, that sounds like that. You know, they experiment a lot more. I don't think they, they feel like they need to sound like any one thing. And I think that's the beauty of it Mm -hmm. is that, you know, there's, there's definitely a freedom in it, different kind of freedom for you, different kind of freedom for me. (laughs) But, you know, I think of it in like in a, in a creative freedom on their part. And that's what, that's what I recognize. And that's what I love to document. That's what makes it such a, you know, fascinating body of work for Mm -hmm. me is because I'm a creator also, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a musician, I'm an artist. And so I love to pick their brains about those things because it, it helps people understand the artist a little bit more and maybe helps them understand the art and maybe helps them understand what it is that appeals to them about it. Yeah. yeah. And and just reading the book, you know, it, it, it sounds a lot like a lot of my uncles and a few of my aunties, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For somebody who is, you know, of your background, right, who mm-hmm. doesn't culturally uh, necessarily identify with uh, Houston's hip hop, what do you hope that, you know, they kind of gain from this book, even if they don't listen to, to hip hop at all? That's the beauty of, of having it in text. And that's yeah. the beauty of having everything like literally there in black and white. I hope that it levels the playing field and I hope that people who have nothing culturally in common with Houston rap music can can read some of the stories and that it it speaks to them and it resonates with them something about it yeah. you know maybe not every interview in there and and you know I I can't expect someone who knows nothing about Houston rap to <laughs> to get something out of every every interview yeah. or or every piece in the book cuz some of it is just pretty obscure yeah. you know and and uh, and I and I try to to kind of uh, move those obscure parts around in a way the sequence is, is planned out in a way that hopefully carries you through that but I just hope that people understand something about people who are a little bit different than them yeah. I hope people can read this book and say well I never knew anything about gangster rap but you know that zero guy is really smart or that Willie D guy wow I love his stories he's funny you know or or you know whoever it might be and I hope that I hope that they can they can learn something from them and, and maybe learn something from people that they felt like they had nothing in common with that's right um you're writing a book on DJ screw on right? DJ screw and his birthday was what last week right his yeah. birthday was in uh no his birthday was in uh, September, September. Uh, no 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 sorry July 20th okay yeah September? yeah whoa I'm a few months off yeah. but it did recently uh pass can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about well without giving away too much uh what that's gonna be about well that'll be that it'll be about dj screw it's a biography but there'll be lots of um lots of stories about all members of the screwed up click you can't really tell dj screw's story without also telling the story of fat pat and big hawk and big mo and you know for that matter people who are still alive little kiki esg all of their lives are so tied together and there's so many amazing um uh, lives and stories to, to talk about so you know I'll certainly be telling the story of Robert Earl Davis Jr., DJ Screw, but you know I also want to tell the story of the village that he built and the, all the careers that he started, and you know just the way that that he touched people. You know he's he's been dead for you know almost 18 years and now. It doesn't even seem uh, it, you know just the presence of uh-huh. his music still didn't even seem like he had passed away that long ago. He's very much alive in yeah. Houston. When you drive around Houston, you very very much feel him. Yeah. His record store opened in 1998. It only sells his records and they stayed open yeah 18 years after his death yeah and they only sell his records <laughs> i mean that's love that's support yes. that's what that's what you know that's that's how houston cuts for for dj screw and yeah. 
he's very, very much alive down there. Lance Scott Walker, author of Houston Rap Tapes, an oral history of Bayou City hip-hop. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez and assistant producer Delia Jones, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.